Hello there. Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and like a lot of people, I like to talk about movies with my friends. This week, I looked up two outstanding critics whose work has meant to me more than I can say, Amy Taubin and Michael Koreski. We talked about the last things we saw, which in this case includes the work of Michelle Pfeiffer, including The Fabulous Baker Boys, the Netflix series The Eddie from Damien Chazelle, and a documentary that screened in the Tribeca Film Festival, Kubrick by Kubrick. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and thank you for listening. Hello, welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. For this episode, I, I'm really pleased, uh, and, and maybe it, it'll become too obvious that, that this is an excuse for me to talk with friends, but <laughs> for this episode, I'm very, very pleased uh, to be joined by uh, Amy Taubin and Michael Koreski. Um, hello, uh, Amy. Hi, Nick. Hi, Michael. Um, here I am. How how is how is life in in your your corner of the world right right now? Well, you know, I'm in a high risk group mm-hmm. because of my age, because I'm a pretty healthy person, except that I'm old. <laughs> so my co-op has been pretty good. I live in a co-op in Soho. Uh, where there has been not in our co-op, but there are an extraordinary large number of COVID cases among very rich people in Soho, which is an interesting thing to contemplate. And among people who are kind of in the art world still, because people like that still live in Soho, and all but one of them recovered. Um, and they're all in between 40 and 70 years old. Um, but I have lost people I know, and that's really uh, painful. Although I haven't lost people who are as close to me as some people have lost, you know, their mothers and fathers and grandparents and relatives and husbands and wives. And what is the last thing I watch? The last thing I watch before I go to sleep is TV, where they show you all of that. It's awful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. It's it's easy to feel a little insulated. I guess maybe I am somewhat insulated, just sort of knowing people who have been ill, um, but mostly kind of medical uh, pro- professionals. So in the in the line of work, and but in and the Michael, line of work is worse because they never yeah. should have been. That's absolutely know? right. It's absolutely true. No, I mean I. I think at some level I've kind of blotted out a lot of the first few weeks of this because it's um yeah it's it's in, enraging to 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 contemplate even for a moment uh how how utterly unnecessary and criminal it it, it has been yeah yep Hi Michael <laughs> Hi Nick where, Hi, Amy Where are you Michael I am in um, our apartment in Brooklyn, the apartment that I share with my husband and our dog, Lucy. Um, it's nice to hear your voices. I'm very pleased to be speaking with both of you. And I'm, I'm sorry, Amy, for your losses of, of friends. I can't really imagine what that's like right now. I'm lucky also to not have lost anyone um, close to me as of now. Um, I do also probably watch or listen to too much news, but I never allow it to be the last thing that I 
watch or hear before I go to bed. That's been something that I have been strict about since the beginning of this. I've been really trying to stick to certain routines. And one of my routines is always some, I have to watch, read, or listen to something else that is not news related before I go to bed because I just will not be able to sleep if I, if I do, because I am the, the anger, the, the general just kind of both free floating and very directed rage that I feel, um, isn't, you know, strangely not conducive to sleeping. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I try not to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm here. I'm here in Brooklyn. I've, I've been here. I've been here. What is it? Nine weeks, nine weeks at this point. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to, to have a wonderful husband and, um, and, you know, we've, we've had our ups and downs, but you know, we're, we're managing and it's, uh, it is what it is at this point, <laughs> as they say in the Irishman, a movie that feels like it w- was released about 20 years ago at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although, although now I, 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 it's the, the, the morbidity of, of it, which is just part and parcel of, about it's kind of long road, uh, uh, long road to to the end now is, is something I, I have trouble shaking uh, still um, it's and it's what struck me a lot about about that movie um, yeah. I'm I'm curious do you do each of you have any kind of uh, routines of, of watching I mean guys there's, there's there's a TV routine but but anything else that can kind of helps you get out of the the world or out of out of one your, your head in some way well, it's strange. I mean, one, my situation is different from yours because I'm alone. So I don't have to consult with anyone about what I watch or, you know, but I also don't have the blessing of watching things together. You know, the feeling of some kind of shared experience that's something like going to the movies. Um so I don't have any routine. And as a matter of fact, I've been thinking a lot about how I decide what to watch, you know? I mean, yeah. for so many years, I've been watching on assignment. Yeah. And part of watching on assignment is, okay, you're going to write about one movie, and that gets you to look at. 20 other movies that might have some relationship to it. But it usually has this function in my life of, I'm going to write about that, or I'm going to interview that person. And I still, more than most people, I think, have been writing. You know, I've been writing pretty constantly for Art Forum. I've been writing pretty constantly for Criterion. So it's not that I don't have assignments, and so I'm very directed toward them, but I also think a lot about, well, why would I choose that? Or what do I want to choose to give me pleasure? You know? And, oh, and I also teach, and I've just wrapped up my courses, and I was teaching long distance, and so... I was trying to assign 60 students in three different classes things that would give them pleasure and also would have some relationship and then uh, uh, email back and forth with them directly about what they watched and what they wrote. 
So there was that little bit of contact, but it also made me think about, well, why am I telling them to watch, say, Johnny Darko, which I think is absolutely a movie for this moment. And and they responded, oh, we never thought a person as old as you would know about Donnie Darko. It was my favorite movie when I was 13. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been like that. Yeah. So what, I mean, were you changing what you were ordinarily going to tell people to watch or assign people to watch based upon the, the current circumstances? or were they, No, uh, what, I mean, at no. first I came up with 10 movies to watch during the pandemic and, um, <laughs> you know, and I had assignments, as I said. But I think what started happening was I started being uh, online more or there mm-hmm. started being more links in my, um, both on Twitter and Instagram and online And I began looking at those things. And before I'd know it, the day would be gone and I wouldn't have time to look at a feature film. And I understood for the first time why it is going to be very hard to get a generation of people who are, say, now being born to now 25 years old to ever concentrate on a feature film ever again, if they ever could already. Yeah. I mean, this this absolute addictive going from small, you know, things on your Instagram feed to, uh, um, well, okay, here's an example. This morning, I was on email, and there was this absolutely great thing, um, and it was from the publicist for Bill and Ted Face the Music. (laughs) And... You know, I've never been a Bill and Ted fan, but obviously it has a fan base. Uh, But I was interested because Steven Soderbergh is the executive producer. And I don't know if you've seen this thing, but it's absolutely great. And it says, be part of uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Um, And it's, uh, you can, there's a song from, from the film the the main song um and you can do a little dance or play air guitar or sing to it and submit it and you might get in the film in this uh along with this was proper rules about social distancing when you do it so you know little reminders about what you could and couldn't do and at the end uh there was a pitch for money for uh, Feeding America, World Central Kitchen, um, um, Homes for Our Troops. Hmm. I sent them money. I thought it was the best thing I had seen in days. Wow. So, so it was a, <laughs> it was, yeah, it, was, it sounds like a comedy. It's, it's, it's almost like a whole program for engaging with the world. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but that, well, I, also I, playing off of nostalgia, which is very smart right now. Right. Yeah, definitely. And they're saying they're going to open it in theaters at the end of August and online almost immediately after, but I have no prayers for theaters by the end of August, at least not in this part of the world. Yeah, it's it's also... 
yeah, it's also interesting. It'll be interesting to see how nostalgia for that movie re really functions at, at this this time, uh, or if it does, or if it seems different from any of the millions of acts of nostalgia that are going on that kind of fuel a lot of social media uh, already. Um, you know, again, just thinking about the difference, you know, you were saying between watching something short versus watching a feature uh, like that, even even like a, you know, pop feature like that. Um, but I, I, I was I was really interested also what Amy, what you were saying in the beginning about thinking about how you decide what to watch, because um, th that's also been on my mind. Do you feel uh, do you feel in a way a, a bit liberated from the, the kind of constraints of like uh, release calendars that uh, or, or, or that sort of thing? Or uh, I mean, you said you're, you're, you are still writing a great deal, but um, in, in a way that does keep one on a certain track uh, is, is yeah. it well yeah. we would have been in can now right well, there's so that. <laughs> we would have been watching four movies a day and we would have been choosing them because we suspected we wanted to write about them <laughs> and so kind of a half a year of what you do as a critic you're filling in there and now we're not right and yeah. i absolutely do not know how to pick and choose among all the things that uh, come into, you know, um, I just don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, thousands, more than ever before, because people are taking advantage of this moment to release everything they've had in their warehouses online. Right. Yeah. Especially anything that is tangentially related to confinement in any way is suddenly going to be put out there. I think I was just seeing uh, a release about an airplane thriller uh, with terrorists. And I thought in any other environment, that would be the last thing you would want. But someone made the calculation <laughs> that because somehow it's like an enclosed thriller that, that people would, would be okay uh, with watching that. Um, but uh, you don't you don't have like a pile of uh, DVDs that you've been meaning to get to. I mean, I have literally boxes of them. Not that I'm getting to them, but <laughs> I do, and I have you know the most guilty piles of stuff like a DVD from Christopher Munch that I should have looked at six months ago. That I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, oh my god, Chris, I never looked at this. <laughs> is, that, is that the UFO one, the Roswell one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, how, how about you? Uh, uh, what ha, have you been finding yourself in, in your routine of avoiding uh, TV as the last thing you see before you uh, go to sleep? Uh, are, are you turning towards things you've watched before or, 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 or new things? That's a good question. It, and it's, it's, it's an ongoing struggle, I'd say. Um, I, I, it, it really, when this whole thing started, I was feeling maybe a little more emboldened to seek out more challenging things that perhaps I hadn't seen before, or just to kind of using the, op the opportunity to expand my horizons. Uh, um, and as the weeks have gone by, I have, I've gravitated more towards, you know, for lack of a better term, comfort movies, of course, you know, everybody's definition of a comfort movie is different. My comfort movie might be something that someone else would find hideous or, or appalling. Um, but I, uh, you know, the, the familiarity is something that I actually am. Um, 
I am craving that, that this comes and goes. I mean, for instance, this week, um, you know, Criterion Channel has posted the the Tell Me series that Nellie Killian had programmed at Metrograph a couple of years ago, and I hadn't been able to see everything there. So I am working my way through that. So, I mean, just last night, I, I kind of went on a little binge of stuff. Like I saw Chantal Ackerman's Dimois for the first time, which was extraordinary. I, I watched a, a Barbara Hammer film I hadn't seen before, Audience, which I absolutely loved. Um, Joyce at 34 is available now, the, you know, the, the Joyce Chopra and Claudia Weil movie. So I am, you know, working my way through some things that I hadn't seen before for sure. But, you know, when it comes down to it and it's the end of the night, I, I do want to watch, you know, that Vincent Minnelli movie for the 20th time. I, I do want to watch, you know, things like, you know, for me, Howard's End is for me one of one of the comfort films. I've seen Howard's End like 30 times, maybe mm-hmm. in my life, maybe more. I don't know why. It just speaks to me. I mean, I, I love the novel and I think it's a good adaptation. And I just love watching Emma Thompson. And, and actually, that's one of the things that I've found um, to be a bit of a tonic right now is 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 kind of focusing on particular actors and then just wanting to dive in and, and familiarize myself with everything about them. Just... I find it very comforting, you know, to watch these Gene Arthur movies that Criterion has posted. I know that's something that I'm not alone on. Um, and so I'm watching some of the Gene Arthur films I've seen before, some I'd never seen before, but really kind of digging in deep with a particular actor. And actually right now I'm, I'm, I, I love Michelle Pfeiffer and I'm watching a bunch of Michelle Pfeiffer movies. I find her yeah. an extraordinary screen presence. I just have always loved her. And it's been a while since I, since I really gave her my full attention. So I'd say, yeah, actors bring a lot of comfort to me. And, and, and Emma Thompson is someone that I'm planning on. Like in the back of my head, I'm just going to go like full Emma Thompson at some point. (laughs) So do you think Michael, that's partly because we're watching them on small screens. And so (laughs) you are much more conscious and focused on the actors because basically the large image, the the larger image, the landscape picture isn't so detailed. That might be the uh, case. That might hmm. be the case. I, I do the the couple times that, that my husband and I have chosen to watch more spectacle type films. Um, I don't know. It hasn't. The things that we've focused on have been the performances more than the spectacle. I mean, that's just how I've tended to to watch these kinds of movies in the past. I. I I would prefer to see them on the big screen, but with an actor, yeah, there's that intimacy, right? There's that, that, that like communion with the actor. So every little tiny gesture that they make with their face, you can just appreciate and admire um, and return to. And yeah, the, the, like I just watched, you know, I rewatched the fabulous Baker boys and the appreciation Mm -hmm. of Michelle Pfeiffer in that movie just hasn't, it just knows no bounds. (laughs) I mean, she's, it's like, well, it's like Rita Hayworth, right? I mean, it, she's just so engaging beginning to end in that film. And um, I hadn't, I hadn't experienced that kind of pure joy in a while. So it's almost like, I want to thank her. I want to give, I want to give Michelle Pfeiffer a call and just thank her for, <laughs> for being so, being so charismatic. <laughs> well, you'll be surprised, but guess who's going to join the podcast? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'd love to just like click click her on here and suddenly she's here. Maybe we can do that. 
I mean, that's a way, you know, I I have to say, like, I've also found that that's a way in for, for, for maybe younger cinephiles, just Mm. of the way that I've noticed discourse is going online, discourse is going in social media. There, there really is, even with short attention spans, um, there is still this kind of love for stars and a craving for stars, especially because, you know, traditional stardom is basically dead. So when there is like this big grouping of Gary Cooper films or Gene Arthur films that just turn up because of a, because of a place like Criterion or whether there's some sort of discussion going on online because of someone's birthday or for whatever reason, there, there really is this groundswell of love for these stars. And it's, it's, it's pretty heartening. And, you know, I taught a class last semester, thankfully not this semester, Amy, because I, and I, I really do admire and, and sometimes pity teachers who have to teach right now remotely because it seems very difficult. I'm lucky that the class I taught was last semester and ended last semester, but the students that I taught really showed amazing um, attention spans and, 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 and a true engagement with the material. I mean, we watched things together in class and they, they gave them their full attention. And I know that part of that is because, you know, the teacher was there and maybe they felt like they had to, because they were being watched and I had some strict policies. Hey, I'm there and they never feel like that with me. <laughs> Really? That's <laughs> I guess this, I, you know, maybe it's just these, even with policy, did you give them kind of viewing policies about their, their screens and things? Um, they're not allowed to walk out during a film unless they're going to barf. And then they have to tell me that they're going to barf, um, <laughs> but they do it anyway. I mean, it's the one contentious thing in TV. And I, I can't understand it. I say, if you bought a ticket, you wouldn't be walking in and out three times during the movie to do whatever you do out there. Yeah, but yeah, no, that's true. Really actually, hard. thing, and I heard that before starting because uh, it was the first. It was the first class I taught, and I heard like you know, it's a little strange. They tend to get up and walk out during movies, and you don't know where they're going. <laughs> and they're gone. <laughs> and they come back and they get up again and they go. And I was warned about that, and it happened a couple times, but it wasn't. It wasn't um, like a plague, thankfully. <laughs> but they, but they are, but one thing that I thought was very, and the reason I brought that up is um, I was very encouraged by, and I know this isn't necessarily indicative of, of everybody, but one of my students wrote to me um, at the beginning of the, of the quarantining and said that um, she asked me to re-forward her the syllabus because the, the syllabus had a whole list of the end of, of supplementary films. It was a, it was a class on queer American cinema. So I gave them an additional screening list, which is like, you know, hundreds of movies. And, um, and she said, can you please reforward that to me? Because I'd like to go through these films one by one with all the free time that I have. And I thought that was really, really sweet and, and, and showed that she um, had engaged with the material and was interested in continuing to pursue traditional, you know, film, film as a traditional form rather. Yeah, it's it. That's the, the the course and the movies and 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 the lines of think thought have, have had a life beyond your your course. That's that you know, that sounds like a. I count the entire course as a victory at that point. <laughs> Success, <laughs> if that yeah, happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's if we and also when you were describing, you know, uh, Amy's students getting up and leaving, or uh, I I I don't know. I, I just. I guess they're going off the text and it just makes me think of like, I, 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 you know, I walked with a zombie or something where suddenly they're just drawn and <laughs> go off on some walk and then, and then return at some point. Um, 
but uh, uh, going back to the the idea of the the stars and and whether the I mean the proximity we have with them, you know, with smaller screens and typically, I mean, sitting clo- if it's a laptop, you're you're sitting very close to it. Even with a TV, you're, you're probably closer than in, in many movie theaters. But it's yeah, that is an interesting dynamic, and and I find Michelle Pfeiffer uh, also interesting in particular as, as a star, just from those years and that generation. Like I have to watch the Fabulous Baker Boys again because when I when I saw it at the time, I mean, besides being a, a little brat, I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't really, uh, you know, I, 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 it's a movie I have to I have to see again. But it also feels like, you know, that decade uh, or and, and going on another 10 years or so, maybe we didn't realize that stars were on the way out yet. No. I mean, and, and that's also an, it makes it a kind of a, a, an era you know whether the 80s or part of the 90s to to re, to revisit for me to revisit just thinking about it in in that light who were the people i was just taking for granted were holding the screen and were mm-hmm. able to communicate in that way and i didn't realize what i had until i i, I lost it with you know 400 actors named chris or something now right you know? <laughs> point i mean you know and another thing that if you if you feel like diving into a particular actor's filmography and especially if they're a a hollywood actor of a certain era of any era before this one i would say you know you're also giving yourself license to appreciate less than great films right i mean you're Mm. there's no way that none of these stars none of them especially michelle pfeiffer was has this like spotless record of wonderful movies so what you're doing is you're 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 finding the things that work and and the reasons for their stardom within less than less than successful or stellar texts like i I rewatched frankie and johnny last night which is the very very strange um gary marshall adaptation of the terence mcnally play and and terence mcnally actually died um at the beginning of this pandemic Mm. um from covid and um, I, I always, it was, so I kind of also wanted to watch it as a tribute to him. He wrote the screenplay, but it's a very, very odd and, and, uh, an altered adaptation of his play. Um, but Michelle Pfeiffer cuts through all the bullshit. She just is magnificent to watch and everything else seems kind of like a cartoon, but what a really great movie star can do is make you have these kind of, you know, glimmers of honesty amidst the the pablum yeah okay we'll well, i kind of want oh sorry go ahead amy yeah i mean michelle pfeiffer is is a really interesting one because um you know i always wonder about this thing about stars and then there aren't any stars um michelle pfeiffer had a really long career mm-hmm. and it coincides with the career of of her co-stars like Jeff Bridges, um, because I watch the fabulous Baker Boys probably once every two years. Uh-huh. It was a favorite movie of my good friend Paul Arthur, mm. and we used to watch it together because we love both of those two actors. Yeah. Um, but I guess I don't think that there are many stars now, but those stars. Did they kind of, did their careers end simply because there are very few people who have been stars when they are 20 and 30 and 40 who continue? Or did that, it did it end with the end of an era? I don't mm. know about that. I mean, I'd hesitate to say that. 
I think there are stars today. There aren't stars for me because I just think, you know, there are a lot of people named Chris. But uh, I think for people of a younger generation, they can distinguish between those Chrises and um, they are stars. So I'm just not sure about that. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's that's it's true. I I, I yeah, I don't I don't want to I don't want to sound like I, I I don't I don't appreciate the the particular um, actors who are in the firmament right right, right now. Um, but it almost seems. I mean, I'm not the first person to make the point, but it almost seems like there is a certain there's a certain limit uh, limit or limitation on 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 particular actors and and almost almost how what uh, the particular type of appeal or charisma that's that's looked for it's in, in within an industry uh, you know hollywood industry system um i don't know that it seems somehow more a little more homogenized or a little more uniform um right or or, or but, that it's a different a different kind of stardom I, I maybe it's it's false to say that movie stardom itself is dead rather to say that that there's a different kind of stardom now because just mm. because of like you know intellectual properties and because of franchises and because those things always seem to take precedence right you have chris evans and he's a very handsome man and he's in big high grossing movies for the most part these movies are superhero movies that really could star anybody he just happens to be in them um, and, and that's not to say that he's not good in them. I imagine I haven't seen them, but, um, <laughs> he seems like it's again, like I saw him in knives out. I thought he was delightful and he's fun to look at, but there's, it, it seems different from someone like Michelle Pfeiffer, who I would say you're probably going to the movie in 1992 or 1994 to see it because she's in it, not because it's this franchise you've heard about. Right. So um, this is not always the case. She of course was in Batman returns and she's absolutely oh. wonderful in it, but you know, for the most part, it's a Michelle Pfeiffer movie. And um, that's the kind of thing that I guess, I don't know if I miss it, but it's different. I think that what I've been doing is I go to see movies that I've seen in the past or I put them up on the screen because it reminds me of what life was like then, which is different from what it is now. It reminds me of the time that I saw Age of Innocence, or oh, I don't know, the Walter Reed in its first uh, digital incarnation. And I thought the Reds were so great. And I thought, somehow the balance between Michelle Pfeiffer and Daniel Day-Lewis was better than it had ever been. But now I watch it and I remember that experience of being there with them on the screen mm -hmm. because it's an experience of a different world entirely. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, it's, um, it's funny to, that you bring up that movie in particular and that it, it, this talking about her had led to that because and near the beginning of this, I started, I wrote this piece that was about, it was just sort of a nostalgic or kind of a melancholy piece about m missing the movie experience, going to the movie, the theatrical experience. But the, the one film that I had focused on that I remember so vividly from when I was young, seeing in the theater was the, the age of innocence. Um, just this specific experience that I had watching that movie and feeling like I was in the room in those dark rooms by the fireplaces with Daniel Day Lewis and Michelle Pfeiffer hearing those crackling flames um, and, and, you know, in the fireplace and just being with just feeling like I was existing in those shadowy dark spaces is something that, um, that I, I, I agree with you, Amy, like when I watch it now, 
I'm remembering what it felt like because I can't really <laughs> recapture that feeling at home. It was something that was very specific to the experience of seeing it in a theater. Yeah. And that, that makes me think of also, you know, when, when he sees, sees her on, on, on the, um, the, the, the pier or jetty, whatever it is from a distance, just the way that opens oh. out, you know, suddenly, oh, uh, you know, his, his vision is, I mean, besides seeing her just, just in terms of the, the it's seeing at a distance, your horizon is just literally much, much, much further. Um, and yeah, it's hard to feel that impact of that, of that scene and of, of the light and the colors and everything in that, um, you know, only, only on, on a screen at home. Wait, so, um, um, I'm, I'm just, Amy, what, what, what is, what is something that, that you've, you've seen a, a feature that you've, you've seen, um, uh, re recently, if it's not the, the last thing you saw? Well, okay. So I can, uh, I mean, I've, I've watched two things that have made a big impression. One I had to write about and I just ended writing about it, which is, um, um, the series on Netflix, which is called The Eddie, and some people identify it as Damien Chazelle's The Eddie, and yes, he's, I guess, what you'd call the showrunner in the sense that he directed the first two episodes, but he also set the template for the series, and I presume did the casting and chose the other three directors who direct episodes three through eight, um, and it's wonderful. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's the series that seems to hark back to his very first film guy and Madison, Madeline on a park bench. Hmm. Um, it makes wonderful use of Paris and a particular part of Paris that is the multi-culti part or the multicultural, multiracial part that you never see on the screen. And all the music is played live by this incredible jazz ensemble, and it's fronted by the by the woman who's the star of Cold War, um, the Polish film, and right. um, and she's great. But everyone and uh, Andre Holland is the great star of the city of the series in the most thankless role, because he's a person in this series where everyone gets to solo and everyone gets to go kind of emotionally open and wild. And it's as close to a Cassavetes crossed with Claire Denis movie that you'll ever see. But Andre Holland is totally repressed and uh, cannot express his feelings in any way because of a traumatic event. And he gives this incredibly courageous performance where he doesn't ask for any sympathy and he doesn't ask us to like us. Um, he just asks that we love this place, this club that he has made as a haven for these, um, you know, men and women who are great musicians who have chaotic lives outside, but they come together and play there. And the thing about watching it is you realize, one, this is a part of Paris you almost never see on the screen, the 13th, the 17th, the 18th, and the uh, um, the mostly North African suburbs on the periphery. And, um, 
and it's a part of Paris that I feel most comfortable in and I love and why I want to go to Paris. And when you're watching this, you know, you think, oh, was there going to be a sequel? Well, there can never be a sequel because we will never go back to jazz clubs where you everyone is practically sitting on one another's laps. Hmm. So you're watching that and thinking that and thinking, oh, I'd like there to be a sequel. Well, it's impossible because the place is over. So that's one of the last things I saw. <laughs> in, in every sense, it's the last thing. It's the last time we'll see a place like that. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I, 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 yeah, watching something like that must be extremely poignant. Uh, just having a play, like there are no places right now. I don't know. I guess there are places outside, but there are no, the communal place. It's uh, what makes a place actually be alive uh, is in, endangered or not non-existent. Um, jo- jo- I just looked up the name Joanna Kulig. Is that- yes. Yeah. And she's great, but they're yeah. all great. And a lot of them have never acted before. Um, the musicians, and they're just fantastic. Um, and there is that um, amazing director. I'm so get, getting so terrible about names, and I should write them all down in front of me. And I don't have this piece; I didn't print it out, so I don't have it on the screen. Um, it's she directed Devines. Did you ever see that um, about I... these two? Uh, teenage girls or three teenage girls also in a North African suburb. Uh, a yeah. really tough movie and it won the camera door can in 2016. Well, the two episodes she's directed here are twice as good as that. So she um, is really something. Well, uh, Huda that... Benyamina. Huda Benyamina. Yeah. And uh, Joanna Kulig, uh, Kulig, I assume she's she does her she sings she does the singing. Yeah, I mean yeah. she has this she's this really torchy jazz singer, <laughs> uh, and she's as close as anyone I've ever seen to uh, Jenna Rollins ever on the screen. Oh wow! In this, yeah. Oh, that's that's great. Is is that is that already um, live or is it's that on Netflix? Live? It dropped uh, for on Friday. Okay, so yeah. you can binge on it. Yes, <laughs> can't wait to see that. I've been hearing a lot about it, and um, seems like there's been some chatter about it online. I'm yeah, I'm very excited about that. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't fulfill all those conventional beats in episodic TV that you're used to, and so. Sometimes it will just seem to go off on, you know, someone's solo and they let them do it and Great. come back and it kind of yo-yos that way. Um, but it really is kind of amazing. Yeah. Eddie. Um, yeah, that's something something to watch. Um, well, I, I, uh, I have been watching a weird uh, mix of things, I guess, like everyone. But I also... Uh, Amy, you mentioned that right now it's, you know, we, we would probably be at Cannes. Um, uh, I, but I, there was also apparently a Tribeca Film Festival <laughs> that uh, allegedly um, uh, occurred. Uh, I, I only say that because it seems like once you're out of the, the, the kind of 
churn of things and and uh, it, it seems like you know that it's hard for a festival to have the same um, presence um, but I did end up watching something that I think was in um, Tribeca uh, this year which was a Kubrick documentary Amy did you watch this Kubrick by Kubrick no. um, it was I mean I'm I have not watched as much Kubrickiana, perhaps as either as either of you, of you had, I've I've um I'm a little behind. I, uh, but uh, what was interesting about this is it basically it it takes the audio of an interview uh, with Michel Simon, um, or I guess a series of interviews, um, which previously you know had appeared in in in, in print, um, and overlays that with you know uh, you know different different footage from and. Um, which, you know, is always a bit of a dicey proposition because it can, you kind of just feel like you're watching, you're just sitting there to listen to the, to the audio. But I got kind of obsessed with his voice, uh, which I realized I didn't have a real sense of Kubrick's voice. Mm-hmm. I, I, to, I did Maybe both of you ha- had, but it was somehow familiar, but also un- unexpected. Uh, I just liked the, regardless of even what he was saying, I liked just the, the rise, the the kind of falling lilt to it and the, and the wryness that was built into, into everything uh, he, he was saying for some reason in my head, it was more of a kind of stentorian uh, a voice, but uh, it was kind of satisfying. It just was this. or it wasn't. It was not in my head. It was more kind of a, of a booming voice, but here it was, it was um, just, I don't know, just a voice with just a bit of an, of an edge, a bit of a wry edge to it, but not like a, not somehow the mysterious booming voice I was imagining. Um, so you know, hearing hearing in, a, in in this kind of wry voice, him just affirming the the different varieties of um, kind of uh, skepticism and 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 let's say realistic cynicism about uh, history and 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 violence and and free will um, was somehow especially bracing um in in in, in watching this um also just interesting to see clearly this you know long-term um filmmaker journalist kind of rapport uh going on um so that was kubrick kubrick by by kubrick um i'm sure a lot of the the footage you know from the 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 shining or whatnot has has been has been is, is available else elsewhere but uh just you know views on war uh and 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 all, all of that uh, and and particular decisions and um h- how to how to deal with actors uh you know or just hearing him say something like i'm fascinated by the nazi period and then kind of very in a detailed way just kind of dissecting 20th century history in a, in a, in, a, in, a in a way that you obviously is, is 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 there in in the in the context and embedded in the films and sometimes directly recounted in, in in a, in a, in more than a couple of them um but you know it's just it's just yeah being in the room with someone brilliant uh is yeah <laughs> so did anyone acquire it do you know that i don't actually know uh i don't yeah i, sh- I should know that but I, but i don't know that i i i think i mean on the face of it, it seems like it would be obviously appealing just because it's, it's kubrick but at the same time uh, you know a fair amount of it is just sort of essentially the voiceover of of the interview um and that's what's interesting at any given time yeah um, and the rest is kind of illustration but you know a lot of people don't really seem to to mind that when it comes to, to documentaries much oh so. i would love to hear that 
Um, someone, oh yeah, um, David Cronenberg, uh, I can't remember exactly when, I, which movie I was interviewing him in relation to, uh, but it was soon after Kubrick had died, uh, and Cronenberg was one of the directors that, in desperation, they called to ask if he wanted to finish it. <laughs> oh, wow. I, mean, I don't know how it finally got finished, but he turned them down. But uh, he just said he didn't want to get involved in this. But he then told me how Kubrick used to call him at night and talk for hours. <laughs> and apparently he did this with a lot, well, with a handful of directors. Um, that he would out of the blue call them and just talk to them wee hours of the morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I th yeah. That that's I, I. You're right. I feel like I've heard that about another um, filmmaker uh, too. I forget who, but that's. Uh, yeah, I just like the idea of Kubrick just could have, you know, in in between sorting his giant index card system, you know, about Napoleon or something, just <laughs> picking up the phone and calling David Cronenberg to to consult uh, or chat. Um, yeah, it's remarkable. So I, I <laughs> wait. Can you elaborate at all about the uh, eyes wide, eyes wide shut? Did did was there a sense of how much remained to be done? Or he didn't. He wasn't. He didn't. I don't even know if he inquired. <laughs> uh, but he didn't tell me. He was just like, leave me out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean there is. Yeah, that's that's another thing that's 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 in here a little with with the with the movie is um, just him think hearing him talk about kinds of movies and genre uh, and you know um, he's you know he says something about like a lot of types of genre movies are really just ways of about of thinking about death uh, in another way and I mean that's people say that about horror horror obviously but even just to hear it stated outright that there's something about genre in particular. The structure, um, the, the conventions, you know, even the rituals of it that that make make that particularly suited for uh, reflecting on something a bit uh, something infinite and and something ungraspable uh, like mortality. I, there are a lot of lines in the movie uh, like like that. Um, Michael, wait, have you? Michael, did you see this movie? Or I have not. No, no, I have not. I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd love to. I can't. Yeah. I can't get enough. Can't get enough of that Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched AI again since all this has started? I somehow keep wanting to do that, but not being able to. Um, I actually haven't sat down and watched the whole thing um, through yet, but I've, I've watched parts, actually. I've, I've watched parts of it, but I, yeah. it's, it's it's actually sitting out. I took it out of the shelf. It's sitting on a pile of things that I have um, ready to go soon. So it's it's coming up shortly. <laughs> See, that's what I can't do. I can't actually choose and put on a DVD. I can only, and I must say that I spend too much money on having access or getting free access to, you know, HBO and now HBO X and, uh, um, you know, all that stuff and 100 cable channels and Hulu and Netflix I pay for and Criterion I don't pay for. Um, and so I can kind of channel surf and then I'll just find something, but I can't make a decision to put something on. So although I really love Tinker Taylor, the movie, not the old series, 
and I've watched it maybe a hundred times. I never put on the Blu-ray. I just catch it on the fly on TV, which is just so crazy. Um, mm. But anytime it's there, I turn it on, I leave it on. I think, oh, I'll just listen to the soundtrack because I know every line so I can just talk along. And I, you know, kind of practice uh, Gary Oldman timing of certain lines because he times certain lines really well. Um, and then I end up just riveted looking at it. But I would never dream of saying, I choose this tonight. And that's what I meant about sometimes I think it's easier if you have a companion and yeah. you're making yeah. choices together. Yeah, we, we decided early on that we had to uh, kind of put parameters around things. So we would have like certain days of the week or certain types of films. Because, I mean, we knew that we would just drown in all the things and all the options so you know we and and you know who chooses and what are you in the mood for like rather than think because we think we're never going to be in the right mood for anything like last night chris <laughs> said there are no moods anymore i said well that's an interesting thought um it's just like one kind of um gray massive feeling so if you know if we kind of put aside like we you know we always will watch a criterion film on thursdays i know that still leaves open like so many options but um or like a certain night is the night for the romantic comedy or the screwball comedy um that really helps define the day and the week actually because it can be hard to remember what day of the week it actually is so if you remember that wednesday is screwball wednesday then you remember that it's wednesday that's great <laughs> That's great. That's that's like you have your own uh, repertory cin cinema calendar uh, going. Yeah, it's helpful. And something to look forward to. You need something to yeah. look forward to these days. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, even just the coming and going of like a, a work commute, uh, it's I'm finding is something I kind of miss because uh, I, you know, I mean, subways are nice places to think uh, or can be uh, and, and as well as read and uh, there's something about being in a subway and you're you're kind of traveling without doing anything. Uh, you're, you're sitting, but, you know, kind of hurtling through through space. Uh, and, and there's always been something a bit dreamlike about being in, in a subway uh, for, for, for me. Um, so I, I guess I do. Um, I do miss that. That's not something uh, that seems very possible right 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 now. Um, but yeah, the routine, I don't know, I might, uh, Michael, I might have to steal that uh, <laughs> that idea of having particular days for things. That's yeah. really, what, what was the last uh, screwball comedy that you watched? We watched uh, The More the Merrier. Oh. <laughs> the George Stevens with Gene, with Gene Arthur and Joel McRae and Charles, Charles Coburn, um, which, you know, I had seen before, but I hadn't seen it since I was very young. So that was really, you that liked was it. And also just felt everything in its own way can feel apt for this moment or however you, whatever cliche you want to use. But that's, that's a movie about people kind of being trapped in a small space together. Right. So it was nice. Well, that's another thing that I kind of want to ask you both about, which is, are you, I find myself kind of going crazy with how things are just always connecting with the, you know, just the current state of life. Uh, I mean, is, is, is the, are we, and I'm trying to figure out if that's a, bad thing or not you know is it something i should be resisting um or is it just 
that ordinarily you have that sort of self-awareness. It's just the world isn't as starkly weird as it, as it is, um, as it is now. I, it's, is that something that you, either of you are kind of get annoyed with that just automatic feeling that everything clicks back to you, to your, to your circumstances, if it does? Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think about this a little bit in terms of interesting students who are trying to make art. And one of the things, because I teach in an art school, I teach mm. humanities at an art school, and um, I teach film criticism in history at an art school. And um, I kept telling them that what they had to think about was, one, if any of these movies seemed different to them now because of the circumstances, and then what were they thinking about making? And could they think that what they had planned to make before this all happened, do they still want to make that? And does that seem to them important? Or does everything seem changed? And of course, all of them, because it was, you know, so obvious said, oh, everything seems changed. Um, and that's a terrible burden. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm trying to put a collection together and um, and do I only choose the pieces in which um, I wrote about films that made me aware of mortality because I tend to favor those films and those films tend to be most relevant or films that make you question what is justice or just plain old Freud, Eros versus Thanatos. I mean, is anything else relevant? Mm -hmm. So Gene Arthur in comedies, that's really interesting to think about now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Things that are couched couched in a very distinct past and in a, in a, in a and in a basically surreal movie world are are I'm finding particularly compelling right now and also easier to go down because I don't have to put any real definitions on them. Uh, I don't have to make any real world parallels with what's going on. And I do I do think, unfortunately, we're so early in this thing that we don't really know what the world's going to look like on the other side of it. It's obviously going to be a completely changed world. It, it already is. I do imagine that so many things that are intrinsic to the human experience will remain. They'll just seem more desperate. So I think that it's going to, I don't, I can't say I think, but I, I, I suspect that it's going to um, incite a little more, deeper political thinking for some artists who perhaps weren't thinking of the world in that way before. And that in its way is a good thing, but I, I certainly would never want it to have to have happened this way. But I think that the, the political disillusionment that so many of us already felt on a daily basis is now being felt on a much wider scale. I mean, even on, even just from, you know, family members, uh, acquaintances, extended family members of, you know, my, my husband's in the Midwest, um, in-laws of mine. I mean, there are people who are already seeing things differently. 
And if, if that kind of a perspective, that kind of general disillusionment and disgust and rage is, is going to be as widespread as I think it is, then yes, I, that means that our art is also going to change. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's so interesting to, to, to try to figure that out. I mean, even just, I mean, let's just take, even take the more the merrier. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it came out in 1943. I mean, the, you know, so is that a movie and it's about a, a, a something that was happening because of a world war. Right. So it's it's like dealing with it, but also finding you know a, a kind of I guess cathartically comic way of, of 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 addressing it. So it's it kind of does it's it's looking at it and also a little bit of, a, away from it. Um, but I mean, not that there's a world war now yet, but but well, I mean, yeah. yeah. The interesting the in, the interesting thing about the problem that that movie. Um, you know, makes into farce is that it's so in a way it's so completely opposite to, to now. Right. Which is that this, there's a housing shortage and it's during world war two and it's set in DC. And because of that, people actually have to move in with, to, with each other and pack themselves into really tight spaces. And so the, the fear of that is actually of, of each other, right. Not of loneliness and isolation. So it was actually um, an interesting contrast to what was going on. And I, I, I what, yeah, what will be the, the you know the, the the version of that I guess for this for this moment when when people are able to make something other than TikToks, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, we're we're all just gonna we're all going to uh, die by the thousand cuts of a thousand TikToks. Is what's what's gonna what's gonna happen to the film critic? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Now, for some reason, I because we were talking about Cronenberg, Cosmopolis has popped popped into my head. We're living the Cosmo, living the Cosmopolis uh, locked in life. Um, well, we've we've I think we've we've according to my my counter here, we've we've been uh, been at it for about an hour. So I don't want to um, I don't want to uh, vam- vampirically uh, take any more because it's I guess it can be a little draining. Uh, any final uh, final thoughts comments? It's just that it was so nice talking to both of you. It was really yes. cool to hear your voices. Yeah, same here. Really nice. Yeah, really nice to speak to you. Well, come come back anytime, wherever here is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it well, again. Let's do it again sometime. Okay. All right. So so that's the end of uh, our latest last thing I saw. Thanks for listening, and thank you, thank you both, Michael. Thank you.